Good morning. Our scripture reading today comes to us from the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew in the 21st chapter beginning at the 23rd verse. Hear now the word of the Lord. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one question, and if you tell me the answer, then I'll also tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven, or was it of human origin? And they argued with one another. If we say from heaven, he'll say, why then did you not believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the crowd, for all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. And Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. So there's a story about a woman who found herself alone in an elevator with the very famous and very handsome Robert Redford. As the elevator moved up between the floors, she found herself, as many of us would, I imagine, sort of uncontrollably staring at the movie star. Finally, in her excitement and her nervousness, she looked at him and she blurted out, she said, are you the real Robert Redford? To which Redford responded, only when I'm alone. (laughs) It can be so hard to really know ourselves, to really be ourselves, to find what lies at the foundation of who we really are. Our scripture reading for today has a lot to do with identity, and it has a lot to do with how being willing and able to change our mind about our identity can lead us to abundant life in Christ. This conversation between Jesus and the chief priests and the elders, it takes place after Jesus has entered Jerusalem where he's greeted with shouts of Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And after his entry, Jesus goes into the temple and he flips over the tables and he drives out all who are buying and selling. So it's understandable that the chief priests and elders, they're on edge, their position Their authority, what they believe and who they believe themselves to be, has been challenged. And so when Jesus returns the next day, they question his authority. And Jesus asks them about John and the source of John's authority, which of course is directly corresponding to Jesus' own authority. 
And despite what these faith leaders have seen, they won't answer. They are unwilling or unable to change their minds. They're afraid. Recognizing the source of John's authority would upset their understanding of who they are and what they believe. It would compromise their position. And so they're naturally seeking to protect themselves, their sense of self at all costs, even if it means denying what's right in front of them. They're like the second son in the parable that follows. Jesus is effectively denouncing them for playing the role of the disobedient son. They say they believe, but their belief, it cannot take them beyond who they believe themselves to be. It cannot take them to a place that would jeopardize their position. And their unwillingness to change their mind, it keeps them from experiencing what Jesus is offering them, this freedom and peace that comes from knowing that they have a God who loves them and knows them, the peace that comes from knowing they have an identity in God that is before and beyond any identities they've assigned to themselves in this life. We, too, can have a hard time changing our mind about who we believe ourselves to be. Indeed, there is perhaps no area in our life where changing our mind is more challenging than when there are perceived threats or disruptions to our understanding of ourselves and the roles with which we identify. Sometimes this means we're being called out of an identity to which we cling and sometimes the decision about changing identity is made for us, and we are left only with the decision of how to respond. I've shared with you all before how absolutely devastating it was for me when after 20 years as a film and television producer, my career very abruptly came to an end because I loved it. I loved storytelling. I, I loved the collaboration. I loved the people with whom I worked. I found great joy and purpose in my work. I found identity in my work. I'd spent two decades saying, hi, I'm Sarah. I'm a wife and a mom, and I'm a film and television producer. And just like that, it was gone. I serve with so many recent retirees here at Church of the Palms who are trying to understand who they are outside of the professional roles they've played. Who am I if not this work? Who am I if not part of this community I am leaving? And many parents, many parents who are facing empty nesting or are recent empty nesters, they really struggle with their identity in the face of empty bedrooms and open schedules. If I've birthed you and nursed you and cut your meat and kissed your skin knees and helped you with your homework when I could understand the math, <laughs> not always, if I have cheered you on from the sidelines and tended to your broken heart when it was broken with everything in me for almost two decades, who am I now? Who am I if not wife or mother or father? I've sat with grieving widows who've lost someone with whom they have spent their entire adult life with whom they have struggled and overcame and celebrated and dreamed, with whom they planned years of future celebrations and experiences, with whom they painted a picture of the future that is now just a blank page. Who am I without this love of my life? 
Who am I if not husband, wife, partner? Life changes. It's one thing we can count on, change. And it's so hard to accept changes in our understanding of ourselves, to understand ourselves outside of these earthly roles we play. It's really hard to identify who we are when all our roles and our responsibilities are stripped away. Father Richard Rohr writes about something called the false self. Our egoic false self is who we think we are. He writes this of the false self. It's a social and mental construct to get you started on your life journey. It's a set of agreements between you and your parents, your families, your school chums, your culture, your religion, your partner, your spouse. It's your container. And it's largely defined by distinction from others. And while he says it's probably necessary to get you started in life, it becomes problematic when you stop there when you stop there and spend the rest of your life promoting and protecting it. War thinks the false self, so that's your appearance, your education, your job, your money, your success, and so on. Not as bad. It's just limited. It just doesn't go far enough. And if we're not careful, this false self, it can pose as and thus substitute for the real thing. The false self, it can keep us from changing in the ways we need to in order to be responsive to God's call on our lives. And the false self, it can keep us from changing our mind about who we are when our story develops in a different way than we would have chosen to script it. And this is not to say that parenting and marriage and meaningful work and meaningful relationships, that they're not important, that they don't matter, only that they're limited because we can invest everything we have in our role as partners, but what happens when the person we love leaves or dies? We can invest everything we have in our work, but what happens when that work ends? We can invest everything we have in our role as parents, but what happens when that child starts to live their life in a way of which we don't approve, or they develop an addiction, or they just stop speaking to us? This is not to say loving and abiding relationships don't matter. Of course they do. Of course they do. This is the most fundamental part of loving neighbor, the ways that we are bound to one another. It's only to say that our true self, our truest identity, the one given to us by God, it does last. It does survive. Through loss and change, it continues. It's eternal. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul wrote, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me has not been in vain. Jesus' parable about the two sons is in part about identity. Who are these two sons? How do they understand their identity? And how does that understanding drive their actions? When we look at this parable, we could simply say, well, it's what we do that matters, that we should be like the first son. But as I reflected on the scripture, it became so clear to me that the truth is we are both sons. At times we say we believe and we do not go. We say I am Christian, but then we allow our fear of change to lead us to cling to the identities we've assigned to ourselves. And we choose to stay still rather than to follow where the spirit might lead us. 
We allow our false selves to keep us from living in grateful response to the truth that God loves us and knows us and has forgiven us. We allow fear and our attachment to the roles we play, attachment to our false selves, to our containers. We allow it to keep us from bold service and extravagant generosity. We allow fear and certainty to keep us from being hopeful in times of great change in our life. But we're also the first son in the parable, which gives me great hope. We can say, no, no, I can't. No, it's too much. No, my other roles, my other identities prevent it. And then we can change our mind, following where the Spirit leads us to live in ways that moves beyond our containers to reflect who we really are, to live in ways that bring peace and joy and healing to the world around us. In the beloved musical Les Miserables, Jean Valjean struggles to understand what his true identity is. This man who's been reduced to a number has understood his identity to be that of prisoner. And this same man that's risen to wealth and power, he's understood his identity to be owner, mayor, and above all, father. And he's confronted with this issue of identity, his true identity, because there's been an arrest, and they believe that the man who's been arrested is the parole violator Valjean. And Valjean, he has to grapple with who he is. Is he cont his container, or is he, is he something more? In the end, he sings, My soul belongs to God, I know. I made that bargain long ago. He gave me hope when hope was gone. He gave me strength to carry on. And Jean Valjean, prisoner, owner, mayor, and father, he turns himself in because above all of those identities, above all of those other identities, he is a child of God. Like the first son, Valjean has spent years saying, no, he's run, he's hidden away. He's wondered about protecting his own self-interest. But when he's confronted with the potential suffering of an innocent man, he changes his mind. He chooses his identity in Christ. Father Rohr believes that as God gives us our soul, our deepest identity, our true self. He calls it our unique blueprint, our little bit of heaven installed by the manufacturer at our beginning. He writes, your soul is who you are in God and who God is in you. We do not make or create our souls. We only awaken them, allow them, and live out of their deepest messages. And when you're connected to the whole, he writes, you no longer need to protect or defend the part because you're now part of something inexhaustible. There's a movement happening in our country called I Am Second where people are committing to putting God and others first and uh, finding their identity in Jesus. And they're taking part in an ongoing process to become more like him. In one story from this community, a young man, he's a musician, a rap musician named Lecrae, he, sh he shares the story of how he grew up. And he had a very difficult childhood. He never knew his father. Um, he suffered from abuse and neglect. As a young man, all his heroes were gangsters. 
So it's not surprising as he grew up that he turned to a life of crime and violence and drugs. And he was just so lost. You know, he found his identity in all the wrong places. But then he got invited to a conference with a friend. And there he saw a bunch of people that came from his neighborhood, people who came from the same sort of background he did. But they were all deeply committed to Jesus. And they were different And he realized, Lecrae realized, that he wanted to be more than who he had decided he was. He realized he was more than he had decided he was. He found his true identity. And now he volunteers at a youth detention center and he sings to lost and scared and angry boys, boys just like he was. He sings to them about the love and the hope and the identity, the identity that can only be found in God. He uses his music now to bring hope and healing. He says, I've learned to stay close to my source of significance, my source of worth. It's God. Perhaps the most important question in the gospel is Jesus' question to Peter, who do you say I am? If our answer like Peter's, is you are Messiah, Son of God. If this is Jesus' identity, what does that mean for our lives? It means we are loved beyond measure. It means we do not need to be afraid. It means we're supported by the Holy Spirit in our efforts to change our mind about how we understand our true identity. It means our identity in Christ It transcends all other identities and priorities. Who we are in God and who God is in us, it remains no matter what. It's eternal. Who am I? I am a child of God.